I met Molly in the mathematical discourse class for the Mia. The first thing I noticed was her engaging style interacting with us and the passion she has for not only math, but teaching as well. I learned later on that she is involved with the TEACH program at Venture Academy, but you'll have to listen to find out more about that program. Finally, she has a saying on her whiteboard. In this room, we support all students to experience joyful mathematics. So come on and listen to my conversation with Molly Johnson. You'll find a lot of interesting facts, and I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much, Molly, for joining me today. What do you do here? Well, here at Venture Academy, I am one of the teachers with the TEACH program, uh, which is a new kind of academy within Venture Academy that's all about growing teachers here in San Joaquin County. So uh, we started just this year with a freshman cohort. And so we have a group of freshman students coming through and they take their traditional math and English with us, but they're also students who think they might want to be teachers. And so we have an education elective that we go through. And ultimately, our goal is to get these kids to complete their high school program simultaneously with earning their AA degree from Delta. So we have a partnership with Delta. Oh, wow. So once they graduate senior year, they're going to have both a high school diploma and an AA in um, early education. And then there's another partnership with Humphreys College where these students can actually receive their bachelor's degrees, kind of continue in the process, um, essentially debt-free because there's a partnership in place for these kids. And then as soon as they get their bachelor's degree, they get to come back here to Teachers College and they'll be placed in a school needing a teacher here in San Joaquin County. And then Teachers College, learning to become a teacher will also be essentially debt-free for them. So our program is to really take kids starting freshman year, get them through high school, college, and then get them back in the classroom teaching where they grew up, teaching students just like them. And so we call it growing our own teachers here, that we want oh, to right. pull these kids in, have them become the teachers of tomorrow. So because there is a teacher shortage in San Joaquin County, so do you try to influence them or persuade them? in a way to stay in the county to keep teaching? That's part of the, the TEACH program that we have is that in order to kind of be debt-free is that they stay right here within San Joaquin County. So um, if they kind of continue with our pathway, they absolutely will be here within San Joaquin County. And ideally, once they get started, they're going to love it so much they're not going to want to leave. Uh -huh. And so then, then we really would have said, hey, we have a need for teachers, so we're going to start teaching them to be teachers early on, make sure they have the skills that they need, the tools that they need, so they can be successful when they're placed into the classroom. So we absolutely want them to stay here in San Joaquin County. Right. I, because I didn't know I had seen it before. And, to, and for the listeners out there, I actually just took a course with Molly about mathematical discourse. And if you come ever come visit her room, she has all this wonderful things around so and I always wonder what teach and she kind of, you kind of explained it a little bit but not to that extent which is kind of very cool I like that idea especially with the students coming back to mm -hmm. teachers college tell us something about interesting about yourself that most people don't know well 
I, um, probably what most people don't know, I've, I've actually traveled quite a bit. And okay. so I have been to Australia. I studied for a little bit in Spain and then I even studied for a little bit in Morocco. So I've had the opportunity mm -hmm. to see all sorts of different, um, cultures and environments and just kind of, you know, I did this as a student myself. So it's always kind of fun to see what education is like somewhere else, just for some perspective. Did you pick anything up from those travels like for education? I think the biggest thing that I picked up was the idea that we are blessed in the United States with a lot of really cool things that mm -hmm. we take for granted. And so just the idea of free education, Mm -hmm. That students can just come to school every day, and and they're expected to, right? That it's right. it's a it's a requirement. Right. Otherwise, you're truant. And those are some cool things that other students and in, in other parts of the world, I can't even necessarily call them students, they would ache for a free education like right. that. And so I just think that it's it's something really cool that we have that I don't know if we have impressed upon our own students how cool it is that you get mm -hmm. this. And so I just think being a little bit more worldly mm -hmm. is a good thing for everybody to understand, mm -hmm. not just adults, but students as well, to kind of get a sense of, oh, this is kind of cool mm -hmm. that I get to learn and I'm expected to. And right. everybody wants me to be successful here. Mm -hmm. So I like that. No, that, that I agree with you because my, my wife is from Asia. She's from Hong Kong, and she was telling us stories about how in Asia, you got to take a test after sixth grade to get into upper grades. And if you don't pass, either you're on the street or you end up having to pay a private school. And the mm -hmm. tests are very, very rigorous. They're not something that, oh, yeah, I could pass this. Mm -hmm. And so, and it's true. I, I try to stress that with my students every day. I said, you don't realize there are countries that they're being bombed. Right. And so the parents don't want their kids to go to school because they could end up dying. It's dangerous. Yeah. Absolutely. And you don't see that. They see this on a daily basis. Yeah. So could you tell us a little bit about your background? Absolutely. So I actually grew up here in Stockton, California myself. Um, I went to St. Mary's and then I didn't travel far. I went to college at UC Davis and I got both my bachelor's in mathematics and then I got a master's in teaching mathematics simultaneously with my teaching credential. Um, just in once I kind of finished that program, I came back to Stockton. So I'm kind of like, this is where I, I'm a product of my own education system here. Um, I worked at Lincoln High School for about 10 years or so. I was a math coach for about three years. And then I got the opportunity to start a new program out here at Venture Academy. It was called Brainworks Academy. Mm -hmm. So it started 10 years ago, and it's just part of Venture, um, which is a public charter here with the San Joaquin County Office of Education. And I, around the time I started that, I also started working for Teachers College. Right. And so I've, you know, just kind of, I've had my foot in education one way or another. Huh. All the time. <laughs> no, that, that's interesting because obviously what you just told me about your background is there must have been some reason why you went into education. And what was that reason? Okay, because so, you talked about how you got the degree in mathematics, mathematical instruction, and you got your... So what was it that made you go into it? 
So I, I credit my high school math teacher, Mr. Swanson, uh, completely with it. I knew I loved math and science. That was just something for a long time. I thought about being an astronaut and I wanted to be an astronomer. So I kind of knew that that was where I was headed. And then in high school, I had a teacher who, who just said, hey, Molly, you're really good at math. There's this student who needs some help. You could earn some community service. What do you think about tutoring this student? And I'm like, um, all right, I guess I need community. You know, I mean, I'm just, I just sort of went, okay, I'll give it a try. And I just, I just fell in love with it. And so I didn't even realize it was my passion, but somebody recognized in me, hey, you're good at this. And I think you might be able to explain it to others. So give it a try. And, and I enjoyed it. And I, took such joy watching somebody like actually the light bulb going off and they're like, Oh my gosh, I get it now. So I decided I, I, gosh, this is a great feeling. I want to continue this and why not make a career out of something that I'm enjoying right. so much. So it kind of just pretty much in the high school, probably junior year, I think is when Mr. Swanson had me do that. And so shout out to Mr. Swanson. I know he retired <laughs> from St. Mary's about a year ago. So, but just, you know, you never know as a teacher who you're going to influence and, and, and what you're going to make those kids become. And so I've, I've now been teaching over 20 years myself, thanks to that man. So very cool. That is cool because I'm sure you've had students come back and say, I used to hate math, but because of you, I actually enjoy it now and I'm going to become a math major. Do you have any of those kind of stories? Um, so I do have a couple of students who will come through and say, Hey, I'm actually studying math right now. I, um, I, I learned so much in your class. Hey, when I went to college, I was actually able to do this kind of stuff. So I felt like I was really ahead of the game. And and then just any time I have a student come back saying, hey, I think I want to be a teacher, it just kind of warms your heart because at some point you're like, you know what? If you think you want to be a teacher, that's a great beginning because that must mean you care about kids. You had success with it, and you want to see other people have success right. with it. So I love it when I, that happens. I always tell my family that you could have the roughest days, and if a former student comes up to you, emails you, and tells you, you know, you're always my favorite teacher because you did, you taught us so well that I explained it. Just everything else just disappears for that day, and you you focus on that, and you focus on all those students that say that. I remember so distinctly, I um, maybe it was about five years ago when I was teaching in a teacher's college mm -hmm. class, and there was, I was kind of like a guest teacher there. There was a, a pre-intern class, so these are all candidates who wanted to be teachers, and I was kind of showing them, hey, this is a really cool thing you can do in math, mm -hmm. and we were like doing 3D graphing or something, I'm not sure, but then afterwards, one of them came up to me and said, hey do you remember me? And I'm like, Oh, I don't remember this person. And I was in your, your freshman, you know, algebra class at Lincoln high school, like way back in 2002. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> and like, you know, life had taken him and he'd started a career someplace, but then he ultimately decided I wanted to become a teacher. And so it was just kind of exciting to go, Oh, it was my first former student who was now in the teaching program. And I thought, Oh, that's really exciting. Um, and I got to be your teacher. So I think that was really cool to like, I, I taught you as a freshman in high school and now I get to teach you to become a teacher. It was just super oh, hard for me. Yeah. And, and for the audience, yes, when I took Molly, it, it influenced me quite a bit with her mathematical discourse class because 
I had I had an area where I gave the students a, a quiz, but I allowed them to talk about it. And they'd always tell me they hate talking about math. But because they could help each other, they're talking away. And I sat there and I went, oh my gosh. And after they finished, I said, guess what you were doing? And they were like, what? I said, you're doing mathematical discourse like I kept telling you. So <laughs> those are the types of things that are cool. Absolutely. Is there anything that you wish you knew 10 years ago? I think I wish I understood that technology was going to change so much of what I do for good and bad. Like just knowing that tech, I mean, I've, I've loved, I haven't kept up with technology as fast as I could, but I've got it in my classroom as much as I can. But everything good that comes from it can also become bad. So like I, I really love the idea of photo map. Mm -hmm. And I thought, how cool is this? Kids can see worked out solutions and they right. can find mm -hmm. their errors. And then I also went, oh no, kids can see worked out solutions. <laughs> um, and so just the idea that technology is so cool and I love it, but you got to kind of mitigate it still. And so I think just kind of, I wish I could have told myself, be more on top of technology. Uh -huh. um, you're going to want to use it, but you're also going to, need to help students regulate it at some point. And so you're not you're no longer just a math teacher or an English teacher or a science teacher. You're also a technology teacher. Yeah. And sure. because you know these are all the cool tools that our students have to utilize and somebody has to teach them how to use them appropriately. Because right. um, I mean I get it if you're like, oh hey, it just worked it out for me. I didn't know how to do it. Okay, I'm just gonna copy it. Unless they're like purposely instructed now wait a second let's step back they don't even know that what they're doing is wrong students are just like it's at my fingertips i'm going to use it right. um and so just to realize you're going to be a, a tech teacher <laughs> um, whether you thought you were or not right. i'm realizing okay this is this is a new part of my job description that i never thought would would be part of my job right i, I agree because the negative aspects of technology that i see is that the students will turn around and say well, why do i need to do that i could search it up on google or i could put it in a calculator and i would tell them but you have to understand though back in my day a calculator when it first came out was like it just added subtracted just the four basic functions right and it would cost like 75 dollars and they said, well, that's not that bad. I said, no, it is, because gasoline at that time was 35 cents a gallon <laughs> and that type of stuff. But it is true. Wow. Yeah, I wish I knew more about technology 10 years ago, <laughs> the stuff they know how to do. What is your biggest failure, and what did you learn from? Choosing a biggest failure is not necessarily the easiest thing to do. Because I think just as a human, I've had failures constantly. Mm -hmm. um, I think my biggest failure as an educator was placing blame on my students. Mm. Okay. In terms of, I, and I re, sometimes I still do this, right? But especially at the beginning of my career, I would give a test, calculate the class average. It would be low. And... And I was always placing blame on the right. students. Well, they didn't do this. If they had studied more, if they had done this. 
And I think it's easy to do because you're like, hey, I did everything that I could. And I'm like, well, I did, but could I have done it differently? And so I think the biggest thing that I've learned right now is that if a, if a class has failed the test, regardless of why that happened, I need to do something differently. And I want to try to reach my kids. And so I'm, I'm learning, still learning, <laughs> teaching 20 years, but I'm right. still learning. It's okay to fail. Mm-hmm. And as a teacher, if that happened, it's okay as long as I learn from it and I change from it. Right. And so I think learning that failure is just what's it's part of life, but how you deal with it. Mm-hmm. We try to teach that to our students constantly. I think we also need to make sure that we understand it as an adult, as an adult teacher. All right. It's okay to say I failed at teaching this concept. What am I? What am I going to do differently? Because mm-hmm. I don't. I don't like that. Nobody likes to be a failure at some point. Right. And I think that just as a society, we need to make that more okay for teachers. Mm-hmm. And and the goal is okay. Let's see what supports we can put in place for that teacher. What things? What professional development is there? How can we get them to collaborate with other teachers who maybe were successful in that particular concept? And if we can kind of create that culture, then I think that. Everybody's going to benefit from it, that's students a, and teachers. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a powerful message you're saying that because I've heard that constantly. Oh, well, I can't do anything with these kids. Right. You know, these kids are just, you can't help them. And you sit there and like in our little conversation before recording this, I talked about how I understand ratios. I could do them, get nine out of 10 right. But when the students took the unit one test or unit test, they didn't do very well actually told them, hey, sorry, it's my fault. I didn't teach you. Well, and it is true. They look at you like, wow, you actually admit it? You can't teach something? I said, yes, I'm human. And that's that's really powerful. And I agree. It's like uh, Megan Smith said that we're not, she doesn't look at teaching as we're teachers. We're more facilitators now to get that knowledge. And I thought that was really a strong message. And Yes, there are people out there that they always blame all the kids. I hear it all the time. Well, they didn't take notes. Right. They didn't study. They didn't do their homework. Yeah, they didn't do it. If they did their homework, they would have got it. I taught it. No, they didn't get it. It, You did did something wrong. Yeah, something didn't happen. So we got to do something different. Yes. And that's okay. Of course we got to try something different. We want you to get it. Mm -hmm. And what a powerful model to the students to go, oh, hey, the teachers didn't just say, oh, well, and stop. We're trying something different in class now. Oh, we're seated in groups. They're trying to have us do more conversations to help us talk about that. You know, I think that's powerful for them to see we as teachers need to respond to you as students. But see, I like that too, what you pointed out that if one teacher has more success teaching a concept and sharing it with the teacher that was having problems with it, that would just strengthen the whole education community exactly. because people would start talking about it. And all the various and take away the stigma. You're the good teacher. You're the bad teacher. It's you were successful at this. Right. I, share with me what your successes were. Maybe I can incorporate those same successes because then it's a matter. Eventually, you're going to be successful. Your students are going to do something well, and then like, hey, now I have something that worked really well. Let me share with with another teacher mm-hmm. with it. And so then 
it just kind of pits the me against you and, oh, you're the favorite teacher or the kids get the A's from you and they don't get A's. No, we're all in education together. We need, we exactly. need to be able to go, this didn't work for me, but I see it worked for you. What did you do? And Help kind of, me out. Yeah. And it kind of relates to how a lot of teachers I run into, they stereotype students. Oh, that's the bad student. That's the good student. Oh, that's the high, smart kid. Right. That's the low kid. That's the troublemaker. And, you know, if you do certain things, which I've seen, you get the kids engaged. Guess what? That low kid that's yeah. always getting in trouble actually gets engaged, shows the high kid how to work something. Right. So, it, you know, it's the same thing with teachers and just people in general. Mm -hmm. what advice would you give someone to pursue a career similar to yours to be a mathematics instructor um i think the biggest thing i would tell anybody who thinks they want to be a math teacher is you gotta like kids it doesn't matter how good you are at it if you don't like kids it'll be a struggle and you're probably going to end up not liking your job because no matter what, you have to build a relationship with the people that you're trying to instruct. People will learn more from someone they have a relationship with. It doesn't mean you need to be their best friend. It doesn't need to be, you don't need to be the cool teacher necessarily. You're going to build your own relationship that makes sense for you. But if you're, if you're willing to, you know, build relationships and then, Try and then learn yourself because I think, especially with mathematics, if you've never struggled with it, it is really hard to help somebody who is struggling with it because you're like, it's always been easy. I, I don't know why you don't get this. It just right. is. Mm -hmm. Just do it. Um, so consequently, I kind of think you need to push yourself. Take math classes until you get to the point where you're like, this is Really hard, right, exactly. and I need to learn how to struggle with it. And I think there's value in constantly taking more classes in what you want to teach, even if it's just to learn how to be a productive struggler, because your students are going to be in that situation. It'll create a lot more empathy if if you've been there too, and you're like, I know this can be hard. Yeah. These, this is what I had to do to overcome it. And so, you know, be willing to to form those relationships and then be willing to, like, struggle yourself mm -hmm. and to kind of hit, like, a wall. Right. And then I think you're going to be a better educator. You, you brought up the term, and a lot of people understand it, but what is productive struggle? So to me, productive struggle is the idea that Okay, you've encountered a difficulty. It's going to take some skills, some stuff, some work to overcome it. You want it to be that the work that you're doing to overcome it is helping you baby step by baby step by baby step to get there. And sometimes it's okay that you took a step and you realize that was the wrong path. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to try something different. And I think that's probably like, to me, that's people often struggle with oh productive struggle means i'm constantly getting to my goal yes but it's okay if, if you went down the wrong path it becomes productive when you realize that was not the path to go i, I now know what not to right. do mm -hmm. 
So let me try something different. And, um, and to learn how to persevere. It's productive if you don't give up and you keep trying and you keep trying and you keep trying because now again, you know, that didn't work, that didn't work, that didn't work. Even if it's the process of elimination, it's still productive for you to get there. Because a lot of people sit there and they, they don't understand that. Mm -hmm. And I see that. And I see that a lot in students. They don't know, you know, like when they get me, I'll ask a question and I'll just stand there. And it could be just for 30 seconds, but to them it feels like it's five minutes. And I still stand there and wait. And then I say, you know, it's productive struggle for you to answer the questions. I'm not going to feed you. So yeah. I see that. So who's been your biggest supporter? And what do they do to help you? I love, I actually love that question. Um, so there's, it's hard to think who's been my biggest supporter. I, I tend to think that my colleagues mm -hmm. generically are my biggest supporters. Um, Mainly because they're the ones who will just, re you are a good teacher. They're going to get this. Don't give up. And I think that's, you know, it's so hard to be a teacher because you get bombarded with, oh, your kids aren't performing, your test scores are low, students aren't learning, teachers, you should be doing this, teachers, you should be doing that. You know, you hear all that. But your colleagues are the ones who are going to build you up and keep you going. You know, you get that like super cool parent every now and then who's right. like, you're so awesome. I right. love you. And then, you know, especially at the high school level, right? You don't get a lot of like super big Christmas gifts, mm -hmm. but you get like that candy cane right. from the one kid and you're like, I needed that. Right. And those are super cool highlights. But in terms of biggest support, I think your biggest supporters are going to come from your colleagues. And so you want to invest your time with colleagues who have that positive energy you know what i mean right. like avoid the negativity right. the staff room could be your like worst possible place to go to because exactly. it feels like uh -huh. negativity just festers in there uh -huh. go find those people who feed your soul who remind you you are good at what you're doing that didn't work okay let's try something different and just kind of support you through that. And I think that's my colleagues by far who've been there. That's true. I have actually, when I was subbing, I still remember going to one site subbing and I was sitting in the, the break room and all I heard the teachers talking about is, Oh, the openings popped up, which I had no access to because mm -hmm. I was a sub and they were talking about how they were going to get out of there. They couldn't stand the kids and it just went on and on. And I, I left and I went home and I thought, wow, do I really want to work at that site and yeah. end up becoming a teacher? And luckily, I didn't end up at that site. Yeah. It is so true. You're yeah. surrounded by negativity. Well, here's the thing. You love students, right? That's why you go into education. You're going to love students no matter where you work because students exist at every site. Those positive colleagues, that's what you need to find. People who feed your soul, who make you happy. Mm -hmm who keep you engaged, that's what you need to find. Right. Mm -hmm. That is so true. What would you say is your favorite memory in education? So I'm going to go you know, throw it back to those of you who remember the high school exit exam, which was known <laughs> as the Casey back in the day. Right. My absolute favorite memory in education, I still remember the student very distinctly, um, he was working to pass this, right? Because every kid had right. to take it their sophomore year. 
and then you, you had to just keep taking it, right? And so he was a great kid, and I love this kid, and he worked really hard, but he just could not pass the math portion of it, right? And so senior year comes, he had passed the English portion, and it was still like, oh, no, is he not going to graduate because he couldn't get the math? And we just worked and worked. My favorite memory is when the email came out that had the test results, and I saw his name and passed. And I was so excited, like all of like that particular school, we were all very close to each other. And I remember bolting out of my classroom going, where is he? Uh -huh. And then I found him like, you passed! And I was so excited <laughs> to tell him because I just thought, you know what? You worked so hard and you didn't give up and you just, you know, you were kind about it. You were humble about it. You're like, I'm just going to keep going. I really want this. And he got it. it just, it's just my all-time favorite memory of being able to tell that kid, you passed. That is cool. That's yeah. a cool story. So what are you proudest of? That it has to be one of the moments you're proud of. But what's another? I think what I am most proud of what I, of what I do is that I offer an environment where it's okay to like mathematics. And I, like I have this quote, it's written on my board, and um, I, I was reading this random article, I don't know, maybe about 10 years ago, Sylvia Turner had given it to me, and there was this phrase in there that said, you know, I wish we could have more of our students experience joy for mathematics. And I thought, what a great phrase. And so then I just started to write on my board all the time, in this room, we support everyone to experience joy for mathematics. And I just think overall, that's what I'm most proud of, is that I am creating an environment for everyone to experience joy. You may struggle with it. You may not get the grade that you want. There may be a lot of things that you never master in this room but at some point we're going to support you to experience joy um and i just that attitude i think comes across in how i teach I, the kids all think i'm weird because i like math so much right and i'm like isn't this exciting don't you love this and they're like i don't think we love it the way you but that's okay my joy can be your joy. And even if you just find joy in the fact that I'm finding joy in it, I, I just think that that's a positive thing. And I'm super proud that I have been working for 20 years to build a climate where you can experience joy in mathematics. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Because even pursuing my Mia, the students know. They'll turn around and I teach a self-contained class this year and they just know. They go, Mr. Takechi, we know what your favorite subject is. I go, how do you know? They said, it's math. And I said, is it because sometimes we go over the time period? They go, no. It's because we could just tell. You get excited about it. And they said, we still hate it. And I said, but you got to start, you know, math is in everything you do. You don't realize that, but it really is. Right. And you don't have to love everything. It's okay to not like it. You can still experience joy with it. Somehow, maybe it's even just the joy in going, I completed that homework assignment, or I've mastered this concept, or you're like, oh, that's why the quadratic formula works, right? Whatever it is, you're going to find a glimmer of joy, and 
hold on to that. And that will be your torch through the rest of your math career. That's what I want. In your own words, what does lifelong learning mean to you? So, lifelong learning to me is, is definitely continuing your education, learning new information, but more than just gathering information, it's internalizing the information. So you're a true lifelong learner, not just if you listened to a podcast or you went to a lecture or you read a book, but somehow you took that and you internalized it and it changed you. And I think that's truly changed you however. Maybe it's made you reflect deeper on a practice that you do. Maybe you're like, oh, no, actually, I'm pretty good at this. You know, however it is, but somehow you've internalized it and took whatever knowledge was presented and you made it your own. That's lifelong learning. What positive movements do you see in education? I think my favorite thing that I see happening in education right now is that relationships are critical and that we are doing our best. And I think TCSJ does this super well of trying to teach teachers that building relationships will be the key to unlocking education for your students. If you have positive relationships, you're not going to have behavioral issues. You're not going to have classroom management issues. The good relationships are the foundation to let knowledge bloom. And so I love the fact that that is happening, that we're spending a little bit more time in the idea of developing together. And it's not just me, teacher, know everything. Let me now put it in you, student head, right? It's no, let's learn from each other. What do you have to bring to the table? What do you have to bring to me? And then how can I take what I have and, and give you access to it? I think that's a great thing that's happening with education. Everything in education seems to be slow and it takes a while for it to happen. But that's my favorite thing, seeing that happen, that it's becoming more and more prevalent. And you hear of more and more teachers who are like, well, I, you know, I actually was just asking the kids the other day how they were doing and it's not straying off topic. It's building relationships so that you can stay on topic. Right. And that's a good thing. It's a positive thing. I was at uh, my staff meeting yesterday and a teacher talked about that, how they build relationships, talk about you know stories that apply. And I, I was sitting there thinking, that's what I do. Because I was talking to another teacher. We were talking about classroom management. Mm -hmm. And we discovered sharing stories that there are some teachers that have fantastic classroom management. They know how to have the students turn the papers in, you know, how to pick up papers if they're late. And all the kids will say, they're a new teacher. And then it dawned on me and dawned on the person I was talking to that the teachers like that. Yes, they're fantastic classroom management. But the issue is, do they build those relationships with the students? Because you could be a little tougher on a kid when you do build a relationship, because they'll be like, okay, he just got a little upset with me. Well, yeah, because I did school and those types of things. And so it's just interesting, yeah. especially depending on high school and well, middle school. And you can have all the procedures in the world and your students may know those procedures. And so they understand to, you know, go to the bathroom, I have to use this symbol, and then I sign mm, out on the door. Like, right. And so all of that might run smoothly. So 
managing that is okay. But if you don't have a good relationship, then when somebody's talking out of, you know, I look at it and I'm like, I don't have kids talking out of turn because they, they understand that, no, we're going to respect whoever happens to be talking right now. Like I remember many times I'll have a beginning teacher. Well, how do you get your kids to behave that way? And I'm thinking, I don't know. It's not like I've ever said, this is what we do, but it's all about, you just, you just build a relationship with them. And then the same way that you treat your friends or even the relationship you have with your parents that you're Mm going to respect them. It just, it's a, it's a cool consequence for building a good relationship. That is so true. Yeah. What are teaching methods that you feel should be abolished? Shaming kids. Straight up. Anytime. Oh, you didn't do your homework last night? Oh. (laughs) You know, and, and I get it to like, oh no, I'm just kind of kidding. I had the relationship, but I'm like, at some point, if you have said anything that would make a student feel ashamed, I think we need to rethink what we're doing in that classroom because then we're teaching students that if you're in a position of power, it's okay to shame other right. people. And I, I just think that it, it again, sometimes it comes out and you're like, oh, well, that's okay. You apologize, right? That's what we do right. when we make mistakes. We're like, I'm so sorry. I should not have said that mm-hmm. to you. I didn't understand the situation. But I just, if we could get rid of shaming students, mm-hmm. I think that education would be a lot better. Oh, okay. <laughs> when you started in education, did you think you would reach this level? Because think about it. You, you came here, you were a teacher, and then now you started this whole teach academy. I'm sure it's going to be very, very successful. You know, when I started, I just thought I'm going to be a math teacher. And I'm just, I'm going to teach math. Um, But I think just like everybody, you know, you you want to grow and you want to challenge yourself and you want to try new things constantly. So I had no idea that I would be teaching teachers and I would be purposefully, like we all say that, oh, I could be teaching the next teacher out there right now. But now my program not only is, oh, I could be. No, I am. I am purposely teaching these kids. And it's crazy to think that my little freshman right now will do four years of high school, two years to finish their bachelor's. In six years, they might be back here at TCSJ and I'll be their instructor again, (laughs) now teaching them how to be teachers. And so, no, I had no idea because it didn't even occur to me that that could happen. Right. so it's exciting to see that you can be a teacher and constantly grow and change yourself and challenge yourself and do new things and and still find so much joy oh, from I it. I agree. I never thought I'd be sitting across recording a podcast. You know, honestly. <laughs> exactly. What do you enjoy the most about your job? The kids. Just straight up. I like... I like students, even when they challenge me, um, even when I am crazy frustrated with something, I still go back to the fact that I love that every day I get to be in front of a a, a group of of young, idealistic high school kids, Mm -hmm. or maybe they're sad and depressed, you know, wherever they happen to be, that my job enables me to work with young people. I think it keeps me young. Um, it keeps me excited about the future and where we're headed in the future because I feel like I've got my finger on the pulse of it. 
and no matter what I do, somehow I am influencing. I hope it's for the best. I hope I'm a positive influence on their life, but that's by far the best thing about what I do. I get to work with kids every day. Where do you think San Joaquin County is heading in education? Okay, so I'm just going to plug my little teach program again with there, that. There you go. Yeah, that's, absolutely. What, that's why I wanted to interview you. Yeah. So San Joaquin County has realized we need to grow our own teachers. Mm -hmm. um, there's a teacher shortage everywhere. And right. so, you know, it's one thing to go, oh, cool, they've got teachers. They've got abundance of teachers over there in Colorado. Let's go do a job fair and pull those people in. Mm -hmm. Okay, then we have some teachers in the classroom, but I think it is so much more powerful if the teachers in the classroom are like the students. I grew up here. I've, I've had similar experiences to you. I know what it's like to live in San Joaquin County where there's a crazy high unemployment rate and there's a high poverty rate and there's a low education, right? I know what this is like. I know the, the struggles and challenges you face. I think that's the best thing that San Joaquin County is doing right now is to go, it's not enough just to have teachers. We want our kids to be able to see the teachers and go, you were like me. Right. I can see that maybe I can be like you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just the super positive thing. I think every county should be doing it. And right. I, you know, the teach program is a start with it. Of let's get our kids to come back here and be role models for the next kids coming up. I think that's super awesome. Yeah. I mean, you know, and teaching, teaching to me is it's true. I still remember when I first started teaching, one of the students sat there and actually said, are you Japanese? And I said, yes, I am. He said, you know, I'm part Japanese. And I looked and I said, oh, cool. And then, you know, he started talking to me just because of that. I think it's important for kids to go, you're like me. Mm -hmm. I can see myself in you. Right. And what a, what a great way. And, and to go, yeah, I, I grew up here. I went yeah, to school here. Oh yeah, I know Hammer Lane. Oh yeah, I know the mall. Like I, I, I was a kid like you once. I used to do that. Oh, we used to have golf land when I was a kid. You know, I mean, I think it's important for kids to be able to see that, just to help build that relationship because automatically there's a we have this in common. Right. I have kids ask all the time, "We, why didn't you choose to come back to Stockton?" Right. And I'm like, you know what? I actually. I get it. Stockton has its problems. Every city is going to have its problems. I like being here. My family is here. Right. I build, build wonderful relationships here. Why would I choose to exactly. leave that? This is a good place. You will find good in it, too. I think mm -hmm. kids need to know you're not coming from an awful place. This is your place. Right. Be proud of it. Take some ownership. What do you see as the greatest challenges for this county of education? You touched upon a few, but what are some? Mm, I think, even if it's not just in this county, but if it's in general, I think challenges come from how we quantify success mm. in terms of, I mean, I'm a numbers person, right? So I get it. It should all be about I, numbers are important, but I think we need to find other ways to quant other than like, this is how you scored on this test. Um, that if we can find other methods to quantify what success looks like and somehow find ways to go, well, what kind of learning happened, what, you know, more portfolio based, I think would be a super cool thing. Um, but I think the challenges come from how do we educate teachers to do that? 
And how do we get that knowledge out and then, and not just get the knowledge out, but then support teachers right. in doing it. And, you know, everything costs money and that, you know, so there's all those kind of, all the traditional, mm -hmm. these are challenges that we have. Uh, but I think if we could find a way to support teachers mm -hmm. to implement best known practices, we would have a lot of success. And right. so I think that's kind of where I would want to see is finding the best ways to do that, you know, and definitely different districts have, have done things that are successful. And so I think this comes back to that. Oh, you're doing that and it's successful. Tell us what you've done and maybe we can do that too. I think it's just the sharing of ideas to get out there for us. I, I agree because I think now, and that's the one thing about Teachers College is that the emphasis mm -hmm. on the 21st century learning, yeah, right? Yeah, the yeah. creativity, collaboration. And I tell that to my students. I said, you're learning in a, in a method of education that was designed during the Industrial Revolution right. to teach people how to be assembly workers. Right. And I said, we're trying to teach you skills because there are jobs that don't exist right now. And if they, and they said, what do you mean? I said, to you, you're 12, 13 years old. So you think Google's been around and it has for your life. For your whole life, yeah. But for me, it's just a little short part of my life. Mm -hmm. And so they start looking up and they're like, oh, that's only been around since 2003. And what a powerful message. This is why I can't just teach you the skill of how mm -hmm. to do something. Because who cares if you can do that skill? We may not be doing it in right, 10 or exactly. 20 years yeah. from now. Something new is going to come up that you've never done before. And so I need to teach you how to do new things. Right. Whatever those new things are, I need to teach you how to solve problems. Whatever the problem happens to be, I need you to be able to do that because your life, your adulthood will be so different from what mine was. Right. And that's a good thing. It, it can be a little scary, but it means, you know, it's more important to know how than to know what. Because yeah. the what will change, but the how you can apply. Yeah, because we were in the class that I'm taking now with Rita. Like you remember her shout out, Rita yeah. Herrera. She showed us a video with a mathematics professor that talks about, a short video talks about what the most important subject in is in math. And he said, it's not calculus, it's actually statistics. Because students need to know how to read facts and data. And he said, if they know that, it's much easier in life. You start understanding. And I sat there, and you always hear that whole thing. Well, what's this do? How's this apply in real life? Now you can actually tell them mm -hmm. that no, you can't flip the coin 100 times and always expect 50 heads to come up. You have to find out if it works, just depending on how you flip the coin. Mm -hmm. What keeps you up at night? Uh, so, so right now, it, it, what keeps me up at night are the kids who say I can't do it. Yeah, Just straight up. Those are the kids who keep me up at night. And whether it's I'm frustrated with those kids because they said they can't do it, or it's how can I get those kids right. to believe they can do it? Because like, I'm not going to get those kids to do it. But I need to get those kids to realize that they can do it. And so, but I mean, just without a doubt, what keeps me up at night 
our kids. <laughs> what keeps me coming to work? Our kids. It's just, it's always going to fall back to the kids. But literally, I'll fall asleep thinking about, I wish I could get Marcos to want to do this. I wish I could get him to realize that he can do it. How could I get him to utilize class time a little bit better so then he doesn't have to worry about getting it done at home? That's what's keeping me up at night right now. <laughs> I mean, that kind of relates how I feel. I mean, one of the things I cannot stand, and it kind of sets me up, it gets me upset, visibly upset, is when the students say, I don't know. And they're just insistent on, I don't know. And then they throw in, I don't care. Yeah. And you're just, you sit there and I'm trying to count in my head, okay, before I snap at them. <laughs> and I have snapped at them. You're human. <laughs> yeah, and I tell them, hey. It's fine to say, I don't know, but don't say it in such, you can learn. That's the right. problem that I'm hearing. In the That's way not final. Yes. Nothing is final. Yeah. And they're like, they start thinking about it. And then when the light bulb comes on, you're like, see, I told you you could do it. Literally in class today, we did an activity um, to answer this question I have on the board. It says, what are five different things that you can do if you come across a math problem that you can't solve? And And I told them it's, it's going to start as basic as reread the problem because, you know, maybe that's what it is. But I wanted to end with ask the teacher for help. So I wanted them to come up with five things, you know, in between those that they can do. And sometimes I think it's just a matter of, oh, yeah, I could do that. I could do that. I have this reminding these kiddos, no, no, you can do this. You <laughs> just, let's just talk about what your strategies actually are and how to utilize it. They they put them all on post-its today. I've got all these poster boards with it. I'm going to have my TA type it up and make a beautiful poster. So that way every kid now knows, oh, that's right, I can do this. Oh, that's right, I can try this. I could, you know, let's, let's build some ways to get, you can't just say, I don't know and stop. Mm -hmm. Okay, if I don't know, that's right, I can do this. And if that doesn't work, then I can do this. So we're gonna we're gonna just put it in your face and say, remember. <laughs> See, and there and there's the collaboration thing. Absolutely. So did you ever fork in the road career-wise? Did you run into something that you said, uh, well, maybe I should be a teacher? Um, other, I mean, Mr. Swanson definitely kind of put me on that path. The only fork in my road, and it, it, brief fork. I remember being at UC Davis, because I was a math major, right? And so um, most math majors are not necessarily going into the education field. Uh, they definitely have other things lined up for them. And so I remember at one point, the CIA came on campus, and they're trying to recruit math majors for internships. And I remember thinking, do I want to do that? I like math. I can do hard math. That might be something that I could do. So there, there was like a tiny little like, do I want to do something like that? But for the most part, I've always been in, in education. And for me, my fork is what site do I want to work at? Do I want to stay here or move here? Am I ready to try something new? Those are the forks that I encounter in education. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What is the number one takeaway you want listeners to remember? I think what I want listeners to remember most, your listeners here, is that. The world changes, people change, the way we deal with them needs to change, and that's okay.
as educators, we, we have to be willing to change and, and ride the ebbs and flows and succeed and fail and to have it be okay as long as we're always striving to find success. And so I think, you know, grow, change, learn something new, try something different, fail. Okay. Just keep moving forward with it. Someone coming out of college, they decide, okay, I want to become a teacher. And I've heard about TCSJ, and I've heard about this tradition. Which way should they go? I think what sets TCSJ apart are their, their R's, right? Their, their rigor, their relevance, relationships. And I just feel that a traditional program doesn't necessarily have the relationship component built in the way it is here. The collaboration is not a unique thing that is done in one or two classes. It's, it's a commonality. You're going to see it everywhere. And so that's what we want our students to be able to do. So to learn in a, in a, in a teaching program that models that constantly, it's a win situation. So I really do think that that's teachers college has that going for it in the fact that everything they teach is modeling how we would want teachers to teach it. Yeah. Why would you encourage present educators, credential teachers to pursue further in their education here at TCSJ? I don't think it's hard to convince an educator to pursue education. Right. But to be specific here at TCSJ, you've got so, like, what a cool school that it's literally all for teachers. Mm -hmm. And all the programs that they offer, we're not like some compartmentalized, oh, we're part of something. Literally everything, the mission, everything about this school is meant for teachers. And there's such a variety in what you can do. You can go into leadership. You can go into STEM, right? You've got this educational inquiry. There's so many cool things that you could pursue. I think you're going to find a match. And what, what, what better way to exemplify to your students that you're a lifelong learner by continuing to learn? Whether you get the degree or you're just taking classes because you're interested in classes, what a wonderful model for your students. Oh, yes. The, the students always sit there and they ask, you look tired today on Wednesdays. I said, that's because I'm in class. And they sit there and they say, when is class? I said, it's in the afternoon time. It runs from two and a half to three hours. <laughs> and they're like, and, you, and I said, yes. And you I, choose to do I this? I choose to do this. And I said, the other thing too, and I do have homework. Yeah. And they're like, and they said, well, it's not, it can't be that much. I said, sometimes it is. <laughs> sometimes it is. So. What's the best way to contact you and to discuss ideas that you presented, like teach and that type mm. of stuff? Because I know you're, you're big enthusiastic about teach. So what's the best Absolutely. way for prospective students that want to, they're in high school or they're thinking about going to high school, how do they end up? I would say your, your best contact is just email me directly. And uh, probably my easiest email is Molly Johnson at teacherscollegesj.edu um, just to start a conversation let me know where you're at because if for whatever reason I can't answer that question I can put you into contact with who can and you know even if you're like 
an eighth grade teacher and you're like, oh, I've got a couple of kids who might be interested. Oh, send send me an email and I'll like come and do a presentation. Well, actually, I won't. I will have my current teach kids come and do a presentation oh, wow. for you because what you know you want kids want to hear from kids. They don't want to hear from me. That's, I get that. Yeah. yeah, but absolutely, I would send an email and then I'll I'll point you in the All direction right. that you need to go. Well, thank you so much for your time. And try to reach out to her if you're interested in the Teach Academy and also Teachers College. Mm -hmm.